it was not an easy decision to go back again into the unknown world, whether you have salary in the next six months, what will happen and whether it will work or not. But having seen the muscle fibers twitching in the lab, I knew that this would work and decided to make it happen. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Diana, very well, welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Pleasure to be here. You're the co-founder and CEO at MoveOn Therapeutics, a life science spin-off from the University of Zurich here in Switzerland. And you develop a therapeutic platform for the regeneration of skeletal muscle tissue. Before we talk about that, I want to tackle your studies. You actually have a PhD in radiopharmaceutical sciences, tissue engineering and stem cell therapies from the ETH. And you spent the 2010s as a researcher. So I was wondering what then motivated you to switch from research to the big, bad startup world? <laughs> uh, thank you for the question. Actually, for me, the big, bad world would have been the pharma, which is about, I was about to go into after my PhD. Mm -hmm. But then um, we got approval by Swiss Medic to go into clinics with what I've been working over the past almost four years. And then I didn't like to see unfinished things and decided to stay on board and make it happen. It sounds like a very easy decision how you describe that. Was it also like that for you or were you struggling to, to take that decision? Struggling, um, having had two very um, nice offers from, from pharma companies, it was not an easy decision to go back again into the unknown world, whether you have salary in the next six months, um, what will happen and whether it will work or not. But having seeing the muscle fibers twitching in the lab, I knew that this would work and decided to make it happen. So it was really the intrinsic motivation that yeah. pushed you in that direction. You also studied in different countries. You got your bachelor's and master's in Germany, and then you came to Switzerland for your PhD. Why was that the right move for you? Actually, it didn't have much to do with my education, but rather um, my love yeah, made me change from the Lake of Constance to the Lake of Zurich. So it's not that far, to yeah. be fair. And we're also wondering, you know, we often hear about that there are not enough women in the STEM area, in STEM businesses here in Switzerland. How is it for you, you know, to be a woman in STEM in Switzerland? Is that something that is challenging sometimes? Or is it something where you say, hey, we need more role models exactly like you to motivate more women to pursue that path? We definitely do need more role models and um, especially true for Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And what I find um, still surprising is that people, when they, when I, when I tell them what I'm doing and my everyday, my, my education or whatever, they imagine a nerdy man with glasses doing this because it's just what we see on all the TV shows. Mm -hmm. And I think if, yeah, this this has potential to change. And um, one positive thing that I 
so over the past five years that I'm being in this entrepreneurial world is that from the first course I attended, I was one out of 17. Mm-hmm. And now in the last course I attended, it was four out of 12. So it's it's changing. Slowly, there's still some way to go, but yes. it's a good development, a good yeah, trend definitely. that we see there. So let's talk about your company. You founded MoveOn in 2020 and told there were four co-founders. So where do you actually meet them, Steve, Jenny, and Daniel? I met, um, so Daniel was my supervisor during my PhD. So I had a longer history with him already. Um, Jenny was my first um, yeah, partner that I could hire when, when I finished my PhD. And um, Steve, I met at an entrepreneurship course in a summer school. Nice. So all different locations and then sort of history. Yeah. What then decided you that you are a good team together? Do you have a lot of complementary skill sets that you bring to the table? Or what makes the four of you the right team to start a company? So the three operational uh, members of the co-founders, uh, me, Steve and Jenny, we have complementary skill sets, which mm-hmm. was very important to to be so um, in order to cover at least at first stage on a higher level, the most important aspects, because a company like this, you need to understand also on, on the business development, also financing, also the science, but also then the hardcore manufacturing in clean rooms. Mm-hmm. And these were the areas where the three of us could cover from the beginning. And of course, the more we grew as a company, the more complex it got. Yeah. And we needed uh, also experienced people from industry that we uh, gathered to support us in a path forward. And you did start as a research, basically in the labs of the University of Zurich. Walk us back through these days, the early days of Move On. You know, how do you then discover the research and then decide this would be a good application to build a business around it? Actually, here I have to thank uh, a postdoc in our lab back then because she literally said, <laughs> go and do this entrepreneurship course, you learn something. Um, and I remember I had so many things to do, coordinating these big European consortium. And, oh, no, I don't have time. But now, mm-hmm. no, you go and do it. <laughs> and and I yeah, crossed the street, went to the course uh, where I met Steve, and then the magic happened. But without that person, there might be no company today. Yes. And uh, I am thankful to her for my whole life. Was there any specific moment when you said, hey, this this research, this really has business potential? Was it really this conversation that you just mentioned? Or when, when was that sort of, you know, spark enlightened in you when you then said, well, maybe this could really work. This could be a business. This was actually early in the days where where I realized what the problem with our lead indication being stress incontinence in women is and the very underrepresented market mm-hmm. and uh, underserved. And uh, these made me also think that, okay, we, we have there a solution that might be pretty much working for this. It would mm-hmm. be easy to... To, to have the acceptability by, by society and patients to accept this therapy. Um, 
and decided to see whether whether it will be so. And how did you then go about that to test the idea to see if it was really solving the problem? So first we founded MoveOn. We were already running phase one clinical trial in patients. Mm -hmm. And we realized that while other companies are very much struggling to get their first patient in for a clinical trial, we were having zero issues. Mm -hmm. People were just coming, piling up, um, queuing. Even patients were waiting for two years now to get our wow. treatment to be included in our phase two. So this this really underlines the, the pain they have in their life and uh, unmet need and the willingness to, to get uh, effective and safe treatment. So you're solving a real problem. I think that's the, the biggest sign that you're on the right path. And you know, maybe listeners who are not that familiar with what you are actually solving, how big of a problem is that? Because you know, it's probably something that is not often talked about, especially not in public. So how relevant, how big of a problem is that? According to your people signing up and waiting yeah. for two years, it seems to be a very relevant and big problem. Absolutely. It's an elephant problem. Yet it's gray and no one likes to talk about it. Um, it's a problem that is affecting over 40% of women over the age of 40. So it's not... Uh, 80-year-old ladies and gentlemen, but it's it's actually in the middle of your active life. Um, and it's affecting also every fourth woman after childbirth. And this is not something that you get um, informed about before getting pregnant. So they're desperately <laughs> looking for a solution. Absolutely. You then did the trials, right? The studies. What was the feedback there after you had the, the first people basically in touch with what you found out in research? Mm -hmm. So we, we treated so far nine patients in our phase one clinical trial and started a couple of months ago our phase two clinical trial where we aim to treat another 70 patients mm -hmm. um, that suffer from stress incontinence. And the feedbacks that we get are very positive. We, we see that they have an improvement of quality of life, that they can do things they couldn't do before. Uh, they can go hiking, they can uh, jump, they can go jogging in a park, they can do shopping by themselves. Mm -hmm. These are just things that people think, yeah, it, it's normal that you do it, it's given, but for many people, it's not given. Yeah, you only realize that once you don't have it anymore, right? Exactly. And then probably the only thing you want to have back is the normal life, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. And how, how exactly does your solution work? Can you explain a bit more, you know, how the technology and how you put that into a solution that is applicable and works with your patients? So what we do is an autologous cell therapy, a tissue engineer product, meaning that we use patients' own cells. Mm -hmm. We multiply them and make millions of them. And then we inject them in the damaged muscle that needs regeneration. And once injected, they start really tissue engineering, building muscle fibers that at the end of the process start really being functional and contracting. Amazing. That sounds still like a very big, you know, thing to do or a thing to change. How invasive is that treatment? The most invasive part is the small, tiny biopsy that we obtain okay. from the patients, and the rest is uh, injection. Okay, so yeah. it's... Minimally it's Minimal, yeah. yeah. Amazing. And 
you are also part of the Wies Zurich Translational Center. Mm-hmm. How has, you know, being part of this great center helped you along the way to, you know, build a company and, and really develop your solution? We have a long history with the Wies Zurich Translational Center because we were having them also as um partner. We were producing our cells for phase one also mm-hmm. with them, with their support. And uh, two years ago, we got accepted as a full project there and including the financial support, which is really um, very valuable for us. We get also a big, big part of in-kind resources and contribution, also infrastructure that is, of course, invaluable being a a clinical stage startup with uh, high burning rates. Yeah. I can imagine. And I want to talk about some of these challenges that you faced uh, along the way a bit in a bit more detail. Mm-hmm. One is about, you know, the phase two of, of clinical trials. You said there were people signing up, waiting, because it's a real problem that you solve. Nevertheless, you do have to make a selection, right? And How do you go about that? Because I assume there were certain things that you wanted and had to prove with the clinical tests. So how do you select the right participants and the right people? Because you probably had much more demand than space in the study. This is spot on, right? And um, how we select. So in every clinical trial, you have to have in an exclusion criteria Mm -hmm. so that you aim to really narrow down the population that you want to treat to the ones that you think that will have the highest efficacy at the end of the day. And afterwards, when you have shown this, like proof of concept, then you can do spillovers into enlarging the population that you might be able to treat. And we, we went this path that we, we concentrate first on the younger Uh, population. By younger, I don't mean that we take only 20-year-old people, Mm -hmm. women, um, but we have a range up to 65 because we consider these really the the most active part where you're also physically active and working and and have a lot of drawbacks being affected by these diseases that are limiting your yeah, your quality of life at the end of the day, and then the, the quality of life that you can earn by having these problems solved in your 40s okay. is uh, the impact is just huge. That's why we started first with um, um, women that are active in their life now in the middle of their best years. And then, uh, of course, down the road, we want to help also the elderly. I mean, that's also where you probably have a huge impact, you know, in terms of life quality or perceived life quality, where you really make a difference. From what you shared with us until now about these, you know, clinical trials, it sounds that for you, they have been probably easier than expected because, you know, other companies struggle to find the participants. For you, that was quite simple. Were there any big challenges conducting the trial itself that you faced? Conducting the trial is n- not that challenging. It's rather um, finding the challenging big amounts of money that we need to yeah. conduct such trial. <laughs> um, so the the problem or issues that we see is that we are giving to, to the market solution that is a 
drug at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And all the other things that are that they are like symptomatic relief options for stress incontinence are medical devices. They they include the insertion of foreign material, for example. And this is what um, it, it sounds easy, but only 20% of the women do these operations because of the side effects they have. Mm -hmm. And and of course, the foreign body introduction into, into you. And what we have here is a, is a drug. It's a minimally invasive therapy and it's personalized medicine. Everyone talks about it. No one does it, yeah. really. And we are really... Um, trying to come one step closer to bringing this to reality and to to really everyday people's diseases and not only for if you are terminally sick by some kind of cancer mm -hmm. then you get a treatment for i don't know half a million this is nowhere we are aiming but we really want to bring regenerative medicine at a, an, at an affordable price mm -hmm for a common disease. I think that's a very good mission to have and to follow. You talked about the financial need, right? To finance the, the trials and everything you do, basically. When we look at the statistics, right? There was the Swiss Venture Capital uh, Report that looked at last year's financing rounds. And there only a shocking roughly 3% of the VC money goes to female-led companies. You're a female founder. How real is that struggle when you are looking for money yourself as a female founder here in Switzerland? I can say that this uh, number is true. And uh, unfortunately, um, in Switzerland also, it's a rather also mindset issue, what I, what I feel mm -hmm. uh, is still there, not amongst young people, but the ones that are still making the money decisions are 60 plus year old men and this is um this is a struggle i think that that is uh yeah years have to pass that others with with new modern mindset and understanding have to have to be able to make decisions and I can imagine also the combination, not only of being a, a female founder, but especially working in the field of female health, yeah. where there's just a lack of personal relatability from these VC investors, I imagine makes it even more difficult to raise money. This uh, was challenging at the beginning, but then I um, started explaining them that um, this is also affecting men. And, and to a large percentage, 20% of men after prostate surgery. Yeah. And then we start talking because then it hurts. And it's, uh, it, it was a very interesting also to, to observe this twitch and switch into in attitude and, ah, now I want to hear more. Now I want to understand. Mm -hmm. And we, we did also a research on the, on the male counterpart of this problem. And we see that men are rejecting prostate surgery and prefer to live with cancer because of the chance of 20% becoming incontinent afterwards. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. W what if 20% of women, uh, I mean, what if women wouldn't want to get pregnant and to bring life to this earth because of 25% yeah. chance? And, and then uh, the whole story starts. 
So the the problem is real. So you experience the challenge of raising money as a female founder. And at the same time, you found a way around it, as it sounds, to sort of connect to the mostly male-dominated VC community by making that more relatable that they understand the problem and, and can relate to what you're actually solving. Yes. And many decisions are made, um, yeah, according to a belly feeling. So Right. Yeah. I think that's a good tip to take away, although it's still challenging, but think about ways to make it relatable for whoever you're talking to, basically, to win them over. Yeah. So it's also a bit of a taboo topic, incontinence that you're solving with your company. Do you also have to educate the market a bit, you know, in terms of just openly talking about it and educating people that it's okay to talk about that, that there are many more people out there who face the same problems and that this is nothing to be ashamed of? Is that a real challenge for you to also build traction eventually? I wouldn't call it a challenge, but rather a mission. Uh, yeah. From from what we see and really the the missing understanding or or the well known secret mm -hmm. that everyone knows but no one likes to talk about. And then I have also a very good example for for the male counterpart. Many experience also erectile dysfunction. You don't go out there and say I have this. It's it's pretty similar. It's a, it's kind of a disability that is limiting a part of your quality of life. And we have started a couple of years ago, really much putting energy into breaking this taboo. We are making a lot of um, public announcements or giving a lot of presentations, have partnered also with uh, patient organizations and are really strong in, in this uh, part of really delivering the message and and uh, the penetration of information about this. A very important part of your mission. I like the way that you reframed it. One more thing I want to talk about is, you know, I know now you're in the in the trial stage and mm -hmm. still sooner or later, you probably have to have a product and have a business model behind it. What are your thoughts about the suitable business model? Is that something that you want to directly sell to potential patients yourself? Or would you go through partners like, hospitals, doctors who would then do the treatment and would be your customers. How would such a setup ideally look like for you? Yes, we will, of course, have our product prescribed by um, by the physicians, mm -hmm. by surgeons. And um, I, I wouldn't say that it would be something that you can go to the pharmacy and take it <laughs> off the shelf. Uh, we're not there yet with uh, cell and gene therapies. But um, yeah. We, we have cleared our business model, also go-to-market strategy. We also have started the market access um, strategy and discussions with all the bodies that we need to discuss this with mm -hmm. um, to basically pave the way also for the full reimbursement, which we are aiming at. I guess that's one of the crucial parts, right? Because otherwise it hurts the patient's more if they have to pay most of the money themselves. Yeah. And that would be probably a lack of getting it done, I imagine. Still, we we, we realize this problem mm -hmm. and the current solutions, which are, as I mentioned, symptomatic relief options, not really therapeutic curing the problem yeah. and, and uh, the um, issue, they are fully reimbursed as we speak okay. today. However, they are, you can imagine, cheap 
compared to personalized tissue engineering approach. And um, this is what we realized early in the days and starting. That's why bringing automation into our process so that we can lower the prices Mm -hmm. so that even it would be possible to pay it out of pocket. Fantastic. And this is, of course, a global problem, right? You're based here in Switzerland. How do you see the market? Is Switzerland like the first market that you want to tackle and then expand from from there? Or is a global outreach the way to go from day one, basically? Global outreach. So the next trials will be um, international and global. Definitely. Where, Where are the most attractive geographies for you? Is it like going to the US or more like all across Europe or what would be your focus? We have um, analyzed the countries that can afford, have the infrastructure and have the know-how and the soil for such um, tissue engineering medicinal products to be able to to grow. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, US and Europe are the two two first ones to go. Right. And we can tell move on is moving full speed ahead. So after the second stage of your clinical trials is over, what are the immediate next steps after that? What will you tackle from there? So by the end of the phase two, we we really want to see the to show the efficacy of our therapy in a larger patient population that we that we have chosen. Mm-hmm. And by this point we aim to have also our product at a commercially viable level so that it is ready for the pivotal trials that can be used directly for market penetration. And, you know, if you think about the timeline further down the road, when do you expect that Move On Tech will be available to patients across the globe at scale? By the end of this decade. Nice. And for you personally, let's say Move On is on the right track. What will be next for you, Diana? Uh, for me personally, it would be uh, getting a PhD degree in life work balancing. <laughs> <laughs> is is that a struggle sometimes? Yes, when um, kids get sick at three a.m. in the morning and you have uh, eight meetings on the next day, it's tricky. Yeah. Do you have any recommendations or tactics that work well for you to to balance work and life? Putting my phone in the cupboard when I'm at home is um, is a tactic that works very well for a couple of hours so that uh, I can really switch off and switch on in, in other functions. That's a good tip. And to wrap up the conversation today, we also prepared some rapid fire questions for you. I give you either different options to choose from or a short question and you can answer in one sentence. Mm-hmm. You ready? <laughs> Go. Bulgaria or Switzerland? It's a very mean question to ask. And I have a smart answer because <laughs> this year is actually exactly half of my life I've been in Bulgaria and half of my life here. So I would say 50-50. A very Swiss diplomatic <laughs> answer. I like that. Researcher or entrepreneur? I would say more entrepreneur over the past uh, few years. However, I still enjoy very much the windows of opportunity I have to jump in the R&D lab and be of help for for the team. So basically a research-based entrepreneur. Exactly. Nice. What's your favorite thing about being a mom? 
My favorite thing is that I keep on learning new things every day from my kids and especially the enjoyment and fascination of the little things in life mm -hmm. that we realize the next day that they were the big things. Nice. And to stay a bit philosophical, what would you like to be remembered for? I would like to be remembered for empowering people around me to reach goals and to overachieve what they think they are capable of and for loyalty and empathy. Nice. And the last one for you today, what's the best case scenario for move on? The best case scenario would be to, um, yeah, get a strong partner sooner than later in order to commercialize the therapy earlier mm -hmm. and to facilitate the path to market so that it reaches the people at the end of the day that really need it. That could potentially also mean an exit or a part acquisition or strategic investor. Yes. Got it. So Diana, that, these were all my questions for today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I think it's really impressive what you've built so far and what you're doing. Lots of success and all the best with Move On and everything else you tackle in the future. Thanks a lot. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs. <laughs>